0: Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now here's our senior pastor, Bill Clark. Welcome to day three of the weekend that changed the world. And I want to take just a moment to go back and understand again the the setup for this day and this celebration. So on Thursday night of this week of the week of before the resurrection, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. One of them would betray him. They had a typical Passover meal. They were Jewish men who had a Passover meal together. He's with his friends. They share in that Passover meal and as the kind of the kicker to it was after, after supper, Jesus did something to help us to remember and to celebrate and to remember that night on a regular basis in the life of God's people in the church, the Last Supper. It was the communion time following that Last Supper together that the disciples were told to remember Jesus, to celebrate his presence coming spiritually in that event. And then on Friday, Well, we know about Friday. Friday was a miserable day. Thursday night, Jesus had spent time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had brought along his closest friends and asked them to just stay there and pray with him, but they went to sleep. That's what we would do. We'd just go to sleep, and they went to sleep, and Jesus was alone, and he was battling the evil one, and he was wrestling with his fate, and it was going to be a torturous day, Then he's taken captive by the authorities. Both the religious authorities and the Roman authorities mistreated him. There was a kangaroo court and Jesus was a part of a process that was grossly unfair. But he yielded to it for the sake of people like us and people not like us all over the world. He yielded to this kangaroo court and he was sentenced to die. And because he was beaten so severely and he had to carry the cross for as far as he could carry it until Simon of Cyrene helped him carry it, he was taken to this place of crucifixion and he died at about 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. He died much quicker than normal because he had been mistreated so badly. Now the Romans wanted to make a point when they crucified somebody They wanted to make a point that there wasn't another king. There wasn't another ruler. There was no higher authority than the leader of Rome, the Caesar of Rome. There was no higher authority and we will punish this man. We will kill this man because he's claiming to be a higher authority than the Roman government. So many were complicit in this act of murder. But Jesus died. And he was taken from that place, and he was placed in a tomb. And today is the follow-up to those events of Thursday night and Friday. And then Saturday, we got to mention Saturday, I just call it Sad Saturday. It's the disciples still celebrating, if you will, and though that word doesn't work anymore after Friday for them, The disciples were remembering Jesus. They were still honoring the Sabbath day, but that day was a day of great sadness, terrible, terrible feelings, and a sense of deep, deep loss. A few days ago, a group of us returned back to Redeemer from a pilgrimage to Israel. We had a wonderful trip. We walked in the places where Jesus walked. We saw the places where he taught where he healed the lame and the sick, where he died and was raised. I tried each day to just do one thing in my mind, and that was to just remember and think about and ponder what Jesus was like, what his world was like, what it was like for him to love as he did and heal as he did and mend the broken hearts, all the things that he did. One thing about Jesus we need to remember is he probably didn't look like what we might think he looked like. Some of us grew up in Sunday school classes with a portrait of Jesus. And he's he's fairly fair-haired. He has white-looking skin. He has Anglo-type features. Perfectly coiffed hair. Is coiffed a word? I don't know much about hair. But his hair was... <laughs> Nicely combed and cared for. And he has a little light smile. (laughs) Jesus had a harder life than that. First of all, he was a Semitic man. He would have looked Jewish. His skin would have been tanned very, very, very brown. His body would have been incredibly lean. One thing you gain from going to Israel, especially Jerusalem, nothing there is flat. Everything is either a hill up or a hill down. Jesus was probably really skinny with calves about this big. That's how I picture Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, this Semitic man, this man who was gaunt and in great shape, who had walked all over the hundreds of miles of the Holy Land, his feet were worn out with with blisters, He wore sandals that were probably old and uncomfortable. They were caked with dust. His tunic was threadbare, and I can imagine his beard needed a trim. There was nothing particularly polished about this Jesus. This was a humble Jesus. And this is the first thing I want us to remember this morning, is that Jesus was humble. He touched leopards. He washed his disciples' feet to get the grime off of their feet. He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he spent his time intentionally with those who were hurting, with the poor, the lost, the lonely, the last in the world. Those were the people he hung out with. Those were the people he healed. He was a man who wept at the loss of a friend and enjoyed hanging out with his 12 best friends. He, unlike others of the time, welcomed women into his larger circle. Scandalous as it was, he loved women as capable of being truly holy people, which was new, new thinking in his time. One of those women was Mary Magdalene. She's well known now. She's a woman from a small village of Magdala, which in recent years they have discovered the synagogue of Magdala was only covered by about three feet of dirt. Archaeologists found it. This was a synagogue Jesus would have taught in. This was the synagogue Mary Magdalene would have worshiped in. But Mary Magdalene was, was possessed by seven demons. Now, I can't explain that any more than to simply say she was possessed of seven demons. Whatever that meant and whatever that was like, let's just say this, her life was miserable. As the seven demons reared their ugly heads and tormented her and bothered her and taunted her, Jesus healed that woman. Jesus healed Mary Magdalene. And it's no surprise to remember that Mary became a lifelong follower of Jesus she stood by him as he was crucified. She was there at the cross. She placed him in the tomb along with others. And she was among the very first to see him as, as he was resurrected from the dead. She never left Jesus' presence. Such was the effect that Jesus had on people. Jesus was a humble leader who had devoted friends, all but one, And after the resurrection, some more amazing things happen. This humble Jesus suddenly morphs into a very most, is post-resurrection Jesus. He was a powerful force. A man named Saul of Tarsus was walking on his way to Damascus. He became the Apostle Paul, but it was quite a journey because he was literally knocked flat by the thunderous voice of Jesus calling his name and saying that he would be following Jesus for the rest of his life and become a profound apostle who wrote much of what we read in the Bible. Jesus saw this blaze of fire, this thunderous voice, and now this humble Jesus, still humble, but it wasn't his primary or only virtue. Jesus is now in that encounter, resurrected, powerful, direct, He's been crowned the king of kings with unimagined power and authority. I only had one experience of unimaginable power and, and I, I don't even know quite why I mention it other than I just remember how powerful the sound was. We were living in Chicago and, and went to uh, Lake Michigan to see the Blue Angels. It was a flying thing. We went to see the Blue Angels flying squad and they flew right over us right on the shores of Lake Michigan. Then they pointed their nose straight up and then they went full power and a sonic boom hit and you thought the end of the world was near. It was so loud and so powerful and so impressive. That's, that's the post-resurrection Jesus and maybe that's something of what Paul felt when your heart just almost stops from the sound and the power. So this day, Easter Day, we celebrate not just the humble Jesus, and he was certainly that, but we celebrate the victorious Jesus. This was the day he was bathed in glory. This was the day when the humiliation of the cross was now officially behind him. God had opened the grave and his lifeless flesh had been transformed. Imagine, imagine the cosmic battle that was happening 2,000 years ago. Pure evil versus pure goodness. Jesus was judged guilty when he was guilty of nothing. He was crucified, and he accepted the misery of that act so that we could receive pardon. He traded his own life for the pardon available to all of us and to all people. His killers were cruel and clueless. Most of them didn't really realize what they were doing. For the Romans, just another crucifixion. Scholars have said there used to be times when the Roman soldiers would crucify up to 2,000 people at a time in Jerusalem. This was just another crucifixion to them. This was just another bad day at the office for people who, some intended evil, some were just taking orders. But the key point of that day, the key point of that moment, the key issue of that day, and the key question that I still wonder about, oh, I've got plenty of answers, but I've also got plenty of questions, was when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's unimaginable to me, a father of four, that my child in such a condition that I could turn my back from it. Well, the only reason it makes sense, the only reason it could possibly make sense, is that this was planned long before the foundations of the earth. The atonement for sin had to happen. It had to happen. Jesus had to die. And this was God's plan and purpose for the world. That all of our sins, all of our sins, would be born on that cross that day. And that forgiveness would be available to all who asked for it. But for a moment, for an unimaginable moment, Jesus was totally alone, and God had turned his face away. The gentle Jesus was the victim of a mob, but he also was fulfilling his duty, a duty assigned to him before the first human came along and before the first human ever sinned. So on the Resurrection Sunday, this day, is the gentle Jesus gone? Of course not. Emphatically, no, He still loves. He still cares. He still dries the tears of broken human hearts. This is still the same Savior. This is still the one who walked on this earth. But there's an added dimension. This gentle Jesus is now also the Lord of life. He's no longer the suffering servant being marched to his death. He now reigns in splendor as the Lord of the universe. And even his clothes have changed from the Apostle John's Revelation, chapter 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I heard, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. And he said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Here's the promise of this day We know, we know. We just don't know when. But at the Father's command, Jesus will come again. And this time he won't come as the suffering servant. It'll come in his risen glory. His sandals will have been replaced with shoes of glowing bronze. His voice will thunder throughout the world and deafen the loudest sounds. No more dusty feet. No more crown of thorns on his head but he will always be both the crucified one and the eternal king. So what do we do in response to Easter? Well, our call is to watch what Jesus did and do that too with his help. To love Jesus is to love his message on this earth, to love one another. To love Jesus is to love His care for people he encountered. To love Jesus is to thank him for traveling the excruciating road to the cross. To love Jesus is to know that the poor matter and the hurting matter, and we're called to be beside them. To love Jesus is to know it will be different in his second coming. He wins this time, he wins this time from the very beginning. There will be no grave because God emptied the tomb. He is alive now and present for our struggles. Because of Easter, we can follow him into eternity. Because of Easter, we can believe the promise that he will come again. Jesus offers us at least at least these things. He offers us eternal life. He offers us purpose in this life. And he offers us the opportunity to love other people. And if I could add one more thing because I think it was so important to Mary Magdalene and to so many whom Jesus healed he even offers us the opportunity to love ourselves. To see ourselves as God sees us. God's beloved child. Whoever we are whatever we've done it's all forgivable. It's We're more lovable to God than we can ever imagine, and Easter proves it. On this day, we celebrate. We celebrate the end of the weekend that changed the world. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, for the wonder of what you did in raising Jesus from the dead for the wonder of the reality of all the appearances that he made to his disciples and friends and others, to the reality that we know he's alive, especially if we know he's alive inside our own hearts. So God, grant to anyone here who wishes to say, Jesus, I'm yours and you're mine. And I respond in faith and love and acceptance of who you are and the promise of life to come. Lord, may it be so for each one of us that we revel this day in the living Christ in whose name we pray, amen.